Welcome to Living Truth Radio, a ministry of Living Truth Christian Fellowship with Pastor Michael Lands. It's our goal to build up believers and to reach out with God's truth to all people. And now, here's Pastor Michael. From time to time on Living Truth Radio, we have other pastors share from the Word of God. We have a special privilege for the book of Genesis in that we have Pastor Mel Campbell sharing from Genesis chapter 1. Mel is a pastor, but he's also a scientist. He has a degree in physics, and I think his insights into Genesis chapter 1 are extremely interesting and give you a scientific perspective as well. So today we have the privilege of hearing Pastor Mel Campbell. Turn with me to to Psalm 8. David will say, O Lord, O Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth, who have displayed your splendor above the heavens. From the mouth of infants and nursing babes, you have established strength because of your adversaries to make the enemy and the revengeful, revengeful cease. Verse 3, when I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you have ordained, What is man, verse 4, that you take thought of him and the son of man that you that you care for him? Yet you have made him a little lower than the angels and and you crown him with glory and majesty. You make him to rule over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen and also the beasts of the field. Verse 8, the birds of the heavens and the fish of the sea, whatever passes through the paths of the seas. O Lord. Oh, Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. David is looking up going, wow. And he didn't know what we know. And we look and we go, how insignificant we look when we look at the scale of this this universe. And we have to ask, Lord, who am I? Who is mankind that you would even think about us? That a thought of you would even, a thought of us would even cross your mind. I told you about, I've shown you the sizes of objects in this universe that God has created. This universe itself is is ginormous too. In a solar system, or here on Earth, we measure things in miles. We measure distances in miles. How far is it from here to New York? Oh, about 3,000 miles. When we measure things in space, in our solar system, miles are too small. Because we start measuring in the millions and billions and billions and billions of miles. So we need a bigger marker, a bigger yardstick to measure distance in our solar system. So this is what we've done. We say the distance from the earth to the sun, we're going to call that one. That's our new ruler. So distance from the earth to the sun is one. And when I look at a planet like Jupiter, Jupiter is five away from the sun, five earth distances from the sun. When I look at Pluto, Pluto is 39.5 earth distances from the sun. We're measuring now in what we call astronomical units, AUs. It's how far the Earth is from the sun. That's our new meter stick in the solar system because billions and billions and billions of miles starts to just get too big. That's just in our solar system. To get an idea about how big the universe is, to get from here to the very next sun, there's nothing but empty space, cold, dark, empty space. We can't measure in AUs. We can't do that in Earth units. It would be too big. It would be like saying, how far is it from here to New York in centimeters? Uh, That's just billions and billions and billions. It's just way too small of a measurement. We need something bigger when we're talking about traveling in this universe or looking through this universe or or, uh, uh, judging distances. So what we do is we say this, light. Speed of light is 186,000 miles per second. The Earth 
is 25,000 miles around at the equator, 25,000 miles. Light travels 186,000 miles in one second. That's seven and a half times around the Earth in one second. We're going to look at how far light travels in one year. If it travels 186,000 miles in one second, how far does it travel in one year? That's trillions and trillions, trillions of miles. We're going to use that as our meter stick now. That's about six trillion miles. The next closest sun to us, here's, a, here, here's us in empty, cold, empty, dark space, and then the next closest sun, Alpha Centauri, is four of those. Four of those light years. 4.3. If I'm traveling at the speed of light, fastest anything can travel, it's going to take me 4.3 years to get there. If there's someone there and we want to say hello to, hello, that hello is going to take four years to get there. A hello and a hello coming back to us. <laughs> that would take eight point, that's an 8.6 introduction, 8.6 year introduction, hello. That's how far, that's the next closest star to us. That's just in our galaxy, the next closest star. Well, our galaxy, to get across our galaxy, which estimate? About 200 billion suns. And the next closest one is that, is that far. But to get across our galaxy, if we want to get all the way across, and we're traveling at the speed of light, it would take about 100,000 years at the speed of light. That's how big our galaxy is. It's huge. We will never, never go to the next planet, the next solar system. We can't do that. We never will, ever. The physics says that. That's why all these sci-fi shows have to go way out of the physics to do it. We'll never do it. It's too far. Our galaxy will never leave it. And our galaxy is one of millions and millions of galaxies. Between us and the very next galaxy, the one that they have on the screen when they're playing the music and whatnot, that's the Andromeda galaxy with the large and small Magellanic clouds on it. That is the next closest spiral galaxy to us, closest galaxy. At the speed of light, once we leave our galaxy, once we leave our galaxy, 2.5 million years in empty, cold, dark space to get there. That's just the next galaxy. And there are millions and millions of them. Oh, Lord. Oh, Lord, how majestic is your name? Not just this earth, but the whole universe. How are you even thinking about me and us on this planet? And notice how, what David said. He says, verse 3, When I consider the heavens, the work of your fingers... Just his finger produced this, or just with his, with his word, it's, a, it's, it's incredible what he's done. His power and his majesty, that's what the heavens are declaring. So when the heavens scream back at us, when they're talking to us, to the scientists, they're saying, God is, God is, and it's describing him, describing his, his attributes. He is huge in terms of being more than this here. He's outside of this that he created because this wasn't always here. So he's outside of that. It doesn't make sense to keep asking, how old is God? He's outside of time. He created time. That means he's outside of it. That's a question that doesn't make any sense. Well, that day, the, that fourth day is just phenomenal to me. Him creating this, this, these stars and the moons. Notice how he says it in Genesis. Go back to Genesis. In Genesis, um, 
verse 16, chapter 1, verse 16, says he made the, God made the, great, uh, the two great lights, the greater light to govern the day and the lesser light to govern the night. He made the stars too. <laughs> like it was an afterthought, right? Like, oh, and he made these things up here. They're huge and ginormous. He just made the stars. Incredible, the God that we serve. And he wanted us to pause after day four and think about that. Look at that's absolutely incredible. Go to day five with me. Day five. I got five minutes, right? <laughs> day five. Then God said, let the waters teem with swarms of living creatures and let birds fly above the earth in the open expanse. And so he creates the birds um, and those things that uh, the birds that fly and, and create um, that filled, to fill this expense. And then verse 21, God created the great sea monsters and every living creature that moves with the waters and sw- um, swarmed after their kind and every winged bird after their kind, after its kind. And God saw that it was good. He said, be fruitful and multiply. Now listen, God is now creating those things that um, live in the waters. And it's not what evolution says. Evolution says life started in the water and then went to the land. God said, so you don't mess that up. I'm going to put trees on the land first God creates the trees on day three he, he, he puts the, the vegetation on the land day five he's creating what's in the oceans and man tries to say we can figure out how he created I mean how life started without him we think it started in the water it has to start in water there has to be something moving uh, I mean there's got to be something that these chemical elements can move in in order to get together and combine and form life. So in order for the biologists or the, um, the atheists or the evolutionists to believe, uh, to know that, um, that life started without God, they've got to figure out this mechanism for inside the water, how it happened. Let me tell you, I'm going to tell you and I'm going to let you listen to what they've got to say. Because they don't know how. It did. Uh, it, it could possibly happen. Scientifically, it's impossible. I read you a quote last week. I'll read you another one. But here's the thing. I told you I was going to try to convince you that Jesus might have been a lefty. Let me tell you why I say that. <laughs> we know that the building blocks of nature are called amino acids. They build up and they make every, the proteins and enzymes that every living thing needs. Plant life, animal life, doesn't matter. They all are, are, um, are built up off of amino acids. We put amino acids together and those amino acids form proteins. And those proteins form and they do everything in the body. They're enzymes. They start reactions. They stop reactions. They keep things going. They, they're responsible for everything. They're the workhorses in the body. They're the machines that do everything. Insulin, I told you, is a protein. And that's for regulating sugar and sugar issues. You know, in the body, that's a protein. Proteins are built from these amino acids. The evolutionist has to explain how from non-living just chemicals, how amino acids could form, first of all, and then how those amino acids can get together and form proteins. Well, the Stanley Miller experiment I talked to, told you about last week, that showed us a way that maybe some amino acids can form. Stanley Miller took this atmosphere that he thought was the early atmosphere. We talked about that last week. Oxygen, no oxygen. No, there had to be oxygen. No, there can't be oxygen. No, there can't. Uh, fighting over that still. He created this atmosphere and he did this um, experiment that went for a week and he just found at the bottom of his flask amino acids. And that was hailed in 1957 as the experiment that proved that life could happen by itself. Awful. Awful experiment. Let me tell you why. Because there were amino acids that formed at the bottom of this apparatus that he had. There were amino acids. Those building blocks to nature. But amino acids in nature come in two kinds. Right-handed amino acids and left-handed amino acids. Both 
right and left. In living systems, right-handed amino acids are poisonous to living systems. All of life, plant and animal, just uses left-handed amino acids. That's all. What Stanley Miller created in 1957 in that flask were poisonous right-handed amino acids and left-handed amino acids that he needed to use so he can build up some proteins or see if proteins could be built. It's called a racemic mixture, a mix. It didn't have just all of one or the other. The right-handed like to hook up with the left-handed easily. They like to do that. All it takes is one right-handed amino acid to hook up with a left-handed amino acid, and it's no good. He's got both in there, and that drives him crazy. How do we do that then? How do we get just pure left-handed amino acids? Since 1957, we've been trying and trying and trying. And guess what we've come up with? Absolutely nothing. We don't have a clue, but their answer is, we know it had to happen, though, because life happened. It just happened. And so, okay, putting that aside, now let's go to Darwin and talk about life. No, we let him get away with that. And he said, no, 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 you can't even, it's what Pastor Michael said the other day, God telling the man, no, 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 you can't use my dirt to build. You got to come with your own dirt. You got to make your own dirt. We are sitting there saying, we can't let them move on. We got to say, no, 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 you got to tell us how it could still happen just that way. That experiment is in your textbooks, or in the textbooks today still, still. And that's God telling us after experiment, after experiment, after experiment, no, no, absolutely no. You cannot have life without me. I'm the author of life. We cannot. Let me read you a quote. All right? So a lot of evolutionists are saying we, we quote them and quote them out of context and, and all this good stuff. Let me read you a quote. A couple of quotes. And then I'm going to try to close it down, Pastor. Give me... I'm not going to say it. All right. 1933. This is 1933. The hypothesis, quote, the hypothesis that life has developed from inorganic matter is at present still an article of faith, end quote. That's 1933. That's J.W.N. Sullivan in the um, Limitations of Science, 1933, page 95. We'll talk about those. You can look up that stuff later. That was 1933. Well, maybe just in 1933 we didn't have it. We didn't know and we weren't sure or whatever. Fifty years later, 1980s, 1580s, here's what we got. Um, more than 30 years of experimentation, this is in 1988, more than 30 years of experimentation on the origin of life in the fields of chemistry or chemical and molecular evolution have led to a better perception of the immensity of the problem of the origin of life on earth rather than to its solution. At present, all discussions on principal theories and experiments in the field either end in stalemate or in a confession of ignorance. It appears that the field has now reached a stage of stalemate, a stage in which hypothetical arguments often dominate over facts based on experimentation and observations. That's Professor um, Klaus Dose. Both of those quotes are from, I mean, atheists, non-believers, and they're just telling it like it is. An honest man, quote, an honest man armed with all the knowledge available to us now could only state that in some sense the origin of life appears at the moment to be almost a miracle. So many are the conditions which would have, which would have to have had to been satisfied to get it going. That's Francis Crick in 1981, 
the, the discoverer of the DNA molecule. He knew in the 80s. He knew back then, impossible, impossible, impossible. Well, maybe we've learned something since then. Maybe that's just too old. That was too far ago, too long ago. No, 2007. 2007, Harvard chemist George Whitesides, he was given the Priestley Medal. The Priestley Medal is the highest award of the American Chemical Society. Um, during his speech, this is what he said. The origin of life. This problem is one of the big ones in science. It begins to place life and us in the universe. Most chemists believe, as I do, that life emerged spontaneously from mixtures of molecules in the prebiotic earth. How? I have no idea, end quote. That was at his acceptance speech for the award that he just got. For being very smart chemically. Knowing the chemical stuff. Now listen, I told you last week, I want you to know. I want you to know that they know. That you now know that they don't know what they say they know. You gotta know that. So they're printing in the textbooks, evolution is a fact. And then they're printing this. And they're saying this. And they're science journals all over the place. They know it is not a fact. And they know it's not true. But they're going to indoctrinate you and me and, and the kids and everyone else knowing that. Evolution is not. It cannot happen. God is put and designed men so that we know this is impossible. I was holding my goddaughter last night. She was just a week old. Last night. Felt like a snowflake in my hands, in my arms. Beautiful. Delicate. Here's the end all for evolution. Here's the end all for not taking Genesis 1 literally. If we give up Genesis 1, I must tell my goddaughter that she means nothing. That her life is meaningless. And that she has no purpose in this life. And that she was just an accident, not meaning anything. That's what the atheist has to think through. And many of them have not. They've not thought through what being an atheist means. And many Christians haven't thought through what giving up Genesis 1 means. We just give it up. We allegorize it. We make it a myth. And we, make it a, we just give it up so easily. If Genesis 1 is not true, there is no God. If Genesis 1 is not true, then the next 49 chapters mean nothing. And the next 65 books mean absolutely nothing. It cannot be an allegory. It cannot be just a myth or a tale or, or something. Genesis 1 tells us where we came from. It gives me my purpose. Verse 25 is going to say, And God said, Let us. Make man in our image. And that's where pastor's going to pick it up next week. That's the crown of creation. It's going to tell us that we are special. That we have purpose. There is meaning in our life. And without God, if there is no God, that's the only conclusion. You mean nothing. And there's no reason why I should be able to say, I care for you. There's no reason for me to say to my wife, I love you. There's no reason for me to not do what I want to do, kill you and take what I want. Life is meaningless without a creator. And Christians cannot give up Genesis 1 so easily because that's what it means if we do. There is no way that I can say this is right and this is wrong if Genesis 1 is not 
true. Morals are out the window. Morals are gone. There's no right or wrong. I can't say Hitler or Stalin or Idi Amin or Papa Doc or any of those crazy rulers were wrong. I can't say love is good and love is right. There was a journal in the American uh, Association, American Psychological Association or something like that in the 80s. There was an article by these psychologists and it was titled something like um, The Evolution of Rape. And it talked about rape as just a natural evolutionary plan or thing or whatever. You see, that's what you're left with if there is no creator. If there are no moral absolutes, you're left with that nonsense where life is not important. Where there are people who think they're better than someone else. Men thinking they're better than women. So that whole ideology rolls and, and, and causes the strife that it does. Kids being told, you mean absolutely nothing and life is meaningless, but I hope you do well. We're sending them a mixed mi- a message. You're an accident. No purpose, no meaning. But then we want to stroke them and wish them love and, and try to help them and try to... Well, why? That's a mixed message. Evolution is true. God is not here. God didn't do it. Then that's all we're left with. Confusion. Utter chaos. We cannot give up Genesis chapter 1. It tells us who we are and it gives us our purpose and it gives us meaning in life. I can say to my wife, I love you and it means something now. I can say to you, I love you because it means something now. And here's the ultimate. Colossians 1 says, Christ, Christ is the creator of all. It, he created all. He, he, he created all and it was all done for him by him. The ultimate of Genesis 1 is setting up what is to come. That's why we can't give it up. Genesis 1 is going to set up the rest. The rest of it is this. There's some hard times coming. There's some crazy things coming. You need to know me. That's why he laid it out like that. You need to know who I am. You need to know that I'm larger than any problem you're going to face. Look at this universe. I'm bigger than that. I can do more. I can do more than you think or imagine I can do. I can make your life more full than you can imagine it being. This is who I am. And I want you to know me. That's what Genesis is doing, has done. God wants to know, wants you to know how much you are loved by his son. His plan was to redeem you from the very beginning. I think when he says, I mentioned this last week, from the foundation of the earth. My name has been written in the Lamb's book of life. He thought about me way back then. I feel loved. My future is assured because of this great God that I serve. And you do too. You should feel assured too. We cannot give up Genesis 1. It sets the stage for the rest of the book and the rest of history. Amen? Amen. Amen. Lord, we bless you. We thank you. We, we pray that you are, you are glorified, Lord, in all that we do and all that we say. This world is dark, Lord, and it's filled with men and women who wish to get rid of you. Lord God, but they can't. Everywhere is screaming. The creator is here and that the creator is alive and that the creator is, uh, is, is active and moving and everything is proclaiming your glory. We bless you, Lord. We want to be those who proclaim your glory as well. Thank you for allowing us to participate 
and this plan that you've laid out. Lord, we don't understand everything and we don't have to. I don't have to, Lord. All I've got to know is that you know. You said you know the plans that you have for me. Lord, as long as you know, I'm good. I don't need to know. Lord, teach me how to take one step at a time, step by step, faith by one faith step after the next one. Lord God, thank you. Thank you for, for, for waiting for me, for waiting to come for me. Thank you, Lord God, for making me and us, your body, special. Thank you, Lord, for loving us first before we even loved you. Thank you for choosing us before we even chose you. Lord, help us to be who you would have us to be in this world, the witnesses that you would have us to be. We love you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. God bless you. As we take this journey through the book of Genesis, I think you're going to find incredible information about the beginner, God, uh, the creation, the fall, the flood, the Tower of Babel, the story of Israel. But you're also going to see behind it all the story of a God who is the beginner, he is the middle, (laughs) and he is the end. He is the Alpha and the Omega. He is the beginning and the end. In Hebrew, he is the Aleph Tav. And this is the story of Scripture, and there's no better place, I think, even, you know, thinking of today's society, today's culture. And at the time that this, we began preaching this book at the fellowship, was a desire to get back to the beginning. That's the, really the title of the series, Back to the Beginning, to get back to God's heart regarding life, creation, purpose, marriage. You know, early in the book of Genesis is this uh, triumphant verse, for this cause A man shall leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This theme runs through the Bible, and you have the family. You have Christ and the church pictured in marriage, uh, Christ and his bride pictured in this beautiful oneness that God has created in marriage. And you know, so many things, folks, are under attack these days. The God of the Bible is under attack. The Bible itself is under attack. A lot of traditional things are under attack and even what we might call traditional thinking. But in the end, what we need to do is go back to the Bible, back to the beginning, back to the beginner. And that's what we're going to do in the book of Genesis. And so we're excited to present this book to you. 50 incredible chapters. I think you're going to really enjoy the verse-by-verse teaching. And uh, we're going to enjoy bringing it to you here on Living Truth Radio. And so we just, I want to encourage you to not only... Thank you for listening to today's broadcast. Living Truth Radio is a listener-supported ministry, and we have an opportunity to expand our reach. We exist to build up believers and reach out with the gospel to others. And we need you, our listening family, to partner with us in prayer and in giving in order to do that. You can give in a couple different ways. One way is to go online to livingtruthradio.org, or you can send in your offering to Living Truth Christian Fellowship, 1009... Arsenal Way, Corona, California, 92880. Thank you for listening to today's program. If you'd like to listen to this message again, learn more about our church in Corona, or to access archived messages, go to livingtruthradio.org and click on the church tab. You can follow us on Instagram at livingtruthcorona or download the Living Truth Christian Fellowship app on Apple and Android devices. Living Truth Radio is a listener-supported ministry. You can partner with us by donating at livingtruthradio.org.